Welcome to episode 24 of the New Balances podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined here by a longtime friend, uh, Kristen Porcaro. Kristen, welcome to episode 24. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. So the number 24 has some significance uh, in our background from where you and I sort of come from. Um, Do you want to tell the people who listen uh, why 24 is important? Um, well, uh, yeah, I'd love to. So um, both Adam and I were in formation with the Salesians. Um, and, you know, there, Don Bosco had a very big devotion to Mary Help of Christians. And every 24th of the month uh, was particularly devoted to Mary Help of Christians. Uh, May 24th was her feast day. Um, so the number 24 always, you know, holds a big significance. So it's funny that it just kind of ended up that that's when I'm here. I believe they call that Providence. I believe so, yes. And you being a devout Yankee fan, um, you know the reason why Tito Martinez wore the number he did, right? I I do. And, uh, you know, it's why I have Tino Martinez's number uh, tattooed on my back. So actually... That's I a lie. Tito. I didn't I said know. Tito, Tito. You did. <laughs> Are you thinking of vodka? I hate vodka. <laughs> it was a Freudian slip. Um, yes. Yeah. Tino Martinez himself went to a Salesian school. And so that's why he picked the number 24. And I didn't know as a little kid, him being my favorite Yankee, that, uh, that he led me, you know, him and Mary, obviously, led me, you know, to the Salesians for a time. You show up for the time that you need to be there, and then you go on your way. There's a, a certain sweetness and bitterness that goes with that. And I think uh, we're going to touch on some of those uh, topics today. Uh, we call that foreshadowing in the biz. And um, yeah, so you and I, uh, pre-recording, we're talking about uh, how we met and how it's been over a decade since we've met. It's been closer to 12 and a half years uh, since we first had our interaction. Uh, so 12 and a half years ago, where were you? 12 and a half years ago, I was a um, rebellious little senior in high school, but not rebellious in the ways that most people would think a rebellious senior would be. Um, because while probably most of my friends... Uh, were out partying and doing senior things. Um, you know, I was thinking about becoming a nun. <laughs> um, so that was my type of rebellion. But uh, yeah, I was senior in high school and I was discerning the religious life and also applying to colleges or really just one college uh, where I ended up going, Franciscan University. <laughs> um, and yeah, oh, and I'm, I'm from New Jersey. I know that I was outed as a um, Yankee fan. So I'm, I'm not from New York. I'm sorry I'm from if you were trying to be state. in the closet about that. You know, um, no, not, 
Not in the closet. Um, no, I'm still definitely a Yankee fan. Um, but you know, I just, it's funny because I planned on bringing up the fact that what ended up making you and I, uh, you know, start having a text exchange, uh, and then leading to me, you know, coming onto your podcast was us hating on the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, together. And so I was actually going to say that it's interesting that, uh, you know, while we have very, um, opposing sides when it comes to sports, we can come together and hate what's necessary, which is uh, Philadelphia. That's so city of brotherly love. I mean, nobody actually loves it. It's, it's not no. a great place. No, no, it is not. No, no the it best is not. thing that came out of that was a fictional character character named Rocky. So, yes, yes, I'm a big fan of it's always sunny in Philadelphia too. So I, I will I've say, I've watched episodes here and there. I never truly got into it. Um, Truck through, I promise. You you like the darkness, right? I do. Go I, yeah, I do, go for I do it, enjoy man. Darkness. Go for it. Go um, for it. <laughs> So uh, speaking of darkness, my wife sent me a meme this afternoon and it's a, it's a hilarious meme. And I, I didn't know if she quite understood the funness of the meme, but it's a picture of Jeffrey Epstein with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell hanging out outside. And it says, true love is finishing each other's sentences. So when I got home, I I needed to ask her, I said, was this you trying to be sweet? Like true love is finishing each other's sentences or she goes, no, she's going to jail to finish what he did. And I said, okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) It it really is true love. I I love it. Yeah. When I saw that one. I wanted to make sure we were on the same page. (laughs) Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so 12 and a half years ago, you were a senior in high school, and yes. I was what we call a pre-novice, which means I was studying uh, the ways of what it meant to be a religious without living out a uh, religious life, and uh, I, part of what we had to do was go um, to this thing once a month called XLT, which was short for exalt which was a time of Eucharistic adoration along with some praise and worship uh, music, which I hated. Um, But I was like, it gets me out of the house. I'm going to go. And uh, I enjoyed going because in my grand sort of like scheme of, because I always was trying to uh, plan ahead. I say scheme, but I don't mean scheme is like I'm trying to get one over on somebody, like an overarching plan. I was thinking someday I'm going to be a full-fledged Salesian in perpetual vows. I'll be a priest. I'm pretty sure I'll be in charge of something because naturally, that's, that's just where my mind was at. And I said, I need to make friends with the young women who are in formation now so that someday when they are fully professed, sisters we can collaborate and have a strong working relationship that we laid the foundation for when we were in formation so that it's not a oh that's a boy and that's a girl they can't talk to each other because you know um it's forbidden make room for the holy spirit 
So I used that line at a school dance when I was down at Archbishop Shaw uh, yep. High School in Marrero, Louisiana. And I said to a student from Shaw and a student from the Academy of Our Lady, I said, hey, hey, leave some room for the Holy Spirit. And the young lady from AOL said, brother, the last time a teenage girl left room for the Holy Spirit, we got the Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, you're not wrong, but, you know, back up. <laughs> but still. <laughs> It's funny. It's a good one. Man, man. So you know your was, theology. I was going to say, at least she was bringing funny. theology with her. <laughs> nice. Uh, but, uh, so you knew you were going to be in charge. I knew I was going to be in charge. I just didn't know what I was going to be in charge of. Sure. One thing led to another, and now I'm married with uh, a six-week-old baby. So, you know, things work out in the long yeah, hey, There you go. There you go. Um, all right. So tell me a little bit about how you went from being an 18-year-old high school senior to joining the Salesian Sisters. What were your, um, what was that thought process like for you? Sure. Man, this is a walk down memory lane. Um, so when I was a senior in high school, or was a little, a little bit before I was a senior, I had started, uh, to discern the religious life. And I had some friends that were in a Salesian youth group and they had said to me, Hey, we think you'd really love the Salesian sisters. You should go check them out. And I mean, I only lived about a half hour away from, uh, Mary help of Christians Academy, you know, where, uh, where the sisters were. Uh, where the provincial house, you know, the, the nun headquarters was. So, um, you know, I had reached out to the vocations director and she very quickly responded and Sister said, Colleen. Oh yes. And she was like, Hey, we're, we're having a, a barbecue this, this Saturday. Why don't you come? You know? And, um, I had not talked to my parents at all about thinking about becoming, um, a sister. So, I actually, again, the odd rebellious teen that I was did not tell my parents that I was going to a convent for a barbecue on like a random summer Tuesday night. I think I told <laughs> my parents that I was going to visit friends in college and I'd be back in a couple days. Yep. Yep. So it's weird, weird things, weird things that will do for love. Right. Um, so, so I went and I had, and I remember having an oddly great time. Uh, one of the sisters, I, we went fishing, like in the pond. It was just Sister Eileen. So, were there any actual fish in that pond? Yeah, believe it or not. And to be honest, then in my years thereafter, I don't remember another fish. So I don't know if like she put them there as a you know little jesus and peter scheme to you know impress me or something but they they were there i promise um probably, so. probably a peter scheme yeah yeah because sister eileen was notorious for her pranks yes yes and also her her craftsmanship and her you know uh just her love for the outdoors so i could totally see her finding some fish elsewhere and, and bringing them to uh 
to the Mary Hope Pond. Yeah. Really, what and and honestly, this is a this is a candid thought. I've never thought about this till right now, so I'm a, I'm a little bit mind blown, uh, thinking that maybe it was a scheme. Um, <laughs> so um, you know, I I visited them that time around, and then ended up doing what they call a come and see weekend. So I I went and visited for um, a whole weekend. It was kind of a discernment retreat and to see how they lived and whatnot. And really by the end of it, I was in the office with the provincial that I would call the head honcho nun to, to you know, uh, you know, uh, Phyllis at that time. Yes. Yeah, man, you're good. Um, and I was getting an application, you know? Um, so I was very, ambitious i had a lot of ideas i said that the nuns should get varsity jackets i uh, you know I, I had i had really great ideas that you know a few years later i was like i can't believe that they took me seriously and let me in like what is <laughs> what is their vetting process <laughs> oh, i remember my come and see weekend had the likes of um i don't know if you remember these names but brad reed that does not ring a bell. He's a priest now in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay, nice. John Barron. Oh, yeah. I know why Chris and I were a year apart in, in grammar school. Okay. Um, Father Paul Chu. Yes. Of the Salesians. Those are some names. Father Eddie Chincha. Yes. Um, and I think... I forget who else, but Paul Chu and I shared a bunk bed at uh, Self Place in South Orange, and John Barron and somebody else shared another bunk bed, and we were in the same room. And I think I want to say it was Nick McGrogan. Um, okay. And, you know, it was right above the chapel uh, at Self Place, and the running joke of that weekend was the Holy Spirit and the Lord Himself was holding the floorboards up from that room so that it wouldn't come crashing down because <laughs> John Barron, myself and Nick are all uh, gentlemen of giant stature. Uh, some are tall, some are big. We put the big and tall in big and tall section. There you go. These, it was a great, great time. And, uh, you know, it was led that weekend by Father Franco Pinto and Father Steve Ryan, and those guys were phenomenal. Uh, That's awesome. Taught, Sounds like a good to, time. They taught me how to break into the liquor cabinet at the retreat house at the Marian Shrine. The important things, you know. It was great. The important things. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, I'm actually another thing that we had done. Um, on the uh, Salesian sister come and see, because naturally they, they won't not put you to work. Uh, you know, uh, I was envisioning this, this prayerful thing where maybe we were just gonna be praying and asking the Lord to, you know, speak to us, right? Um, we painted this very large um, wooden banner. I don't know if you remember at Mary Help, right at the entrance, there was a gigantic blue jay. Um, I don't remember that now at this point is very faded because it's 12 and a half years old, but I helped paint that blue Jay and back in its day, it was, it was blue. It, it was nice. It was spiffy looking. I, I haven't been to the campus of Mary help in at least five years. Okay. Well, uh, let me tell you, it's been there. 
<laughs> it definitely was there. It was uh, it was their their emblem with a nice big old blue jay. It probably was about maybe like twelve feet by twelve feet. It was a very large banner that we we helped uh, paint. So that was something I had never done before, and and now I can say I have experience painting uh, large banners. Thanks, thanks, sisters. Yeah, so. the things you learn uh, in a house of formation, even when you're not in formation. Exactly. I remember hosting uh, some of those come and see weekends, like the guys would come to uh, the formation house. And like, we had some solid guys who came from great backgrounds who were real, I'm going to say real people. Like you could sit down and have a conversation with them and they were like salt of the earth type people. Mm -hmm. My reference. Yes, yes. Um, and then you had other people who were like overtly pious to the point of being nauseous around them like I was walking down the stairs with one of the guys because I was showing him to his room and he's like what's the historical significance of this image of Jesus and he said it dead serious and I looked up at the picture that he was pointing to I'm like so that's a a pencil drawing of Jesus laughing. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's real. Like, I don't know where the scriptural reference for that is. Uh, I know Jesus wept. I'm not sure about him laughing. Yes. Uh, but so, obviously uh, there has to be. There has to be. You, has to you be. gotta find it. You know, uh, pre-roll, uh, pre-recording, you and I were talking, like you did some time. Uh, I'm going to say at uh the franciscan university of steubenville yes uh, i like how you say did some time by the way <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of culty and a little bit um, oh yeah 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 yeah. Absolutely. i have another friend who's a benedictine who's been on this podcast father demetrius and, oh i remember uh, him yes from seton hall mm -hmm. he uh said that when they'd have candidates come to do a come and see with the benedictines they'd have to like catholic detox them and say that's not real world here's real world yes and oh yeah yes so actually um you know i so i went on my come and see weekend i really loved it i wanted to become a sister i got my application um i went and talked to my my parents it did not go well you know um you know i come from a family of all you know college degrees and uh, just, just, you know, aiming to be very, very successful. And they had no problem with, um, you know, my, my faith and, and my love for the Lord, but they were like, this is, this is too much, Kristen. And if this is what you're meant to do, you know, you can do it in four years or in six years, you don't have to do it when you're 18. And at first I was very, very staunchly against it. And I, you know, I, I really romanticized it because obviously as an 18 year old, where then you're, you know, discerning the religious life and you feel this call and you're like, well, I'm, I'm going to leave my house. I'm going to leave my parents. I'm going to go and I'm going to go, you know, be with Jesus, you know? And I, I was you ready romanticize to romanticize the hell out of it. Heck, oh yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, so I, I was all set to go. I, I really, really was. Um, but ultimately at the same time, I, I did, I at least had a somewhat level head on my shoulders where I said, okay, I at least need to go and look, you know, at, at some schools. So I went and looked at a couple of uh, universities that I had seen were, 
at least somewhat Catholic, not just Catholic um, in name, but they didn't even know that they were Catholic or they didn't like that they were Catholic type of thing. Like Seton Hall? Yeah. yeah. Uh, ended up being my alma mater. Uh, yeah. Whoops. Um, but I, I went and I actually, the sisters had brought me uh, to Franciscan for some vocations conference, which is how I ended up going and seeing Franciscan. And I did really love it there. I mean, for, for a young high school, you know, Catholic girl, it was the, the most perfect thing in the whole world to, to be in this, this Catholic Disney world, you know, it was the bee's knees, as they say. Yes, exactly, exactly. But but no stinging, you know, it was, it was incredible. Um, so, you know, I ultimately decided that I was going to go, uh, you know, to Franciscan, you know, rather than, you know, enter, you know, enter the convent right out of high school. I also said, you know, hey, I, I don't really know, you know, so let me let me give it a little bit more time. Let me go to college. Let me get a degree. Um, you know, and, and the sisters will be there type of thing, you know, so that's ultimately what I decided. Uh, my parents still were not very happy with me going all the way to middle of nowhere, Ohio, but they were at least happy that I wasn't becoming a nun yet. Oh, so Ohio is questionable in and of itself. Yes, as, exactly. As a place of existence. Um, yes. And then you add Steubenville to that. <laughs> it's a whole new, uh, it's like, new it's like cult and then cult concentrate. Mm-hmm. And I was on the border of West Virginia. So let's not even, um, it was, it was interesting. Uh, tested here and add the song West Virginia country road. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, what was the sign that always cracks me up? So when you, um, when you entered West Virginia, it said, what did it say? Fun and wonderful. It said this ridiculous sign. There, there was a ridiculous sign, you know. I mean, New Jersey, when you when you drive in, it's like, welcome to Jersey. <laughs> we don't like you either. You know, like welcome just to go. New Jersey. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, good. <laughs> I didn't know if we could curse here. There we go. <laughs> we have an ex- I put an explicit tag on here because I don't want people to feel that they have to uh, bridle themselves. So okay. Good. Speak good. your mind. Oh, fuck yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I remember a world uh, at uh, Self Place when the youth ministry and office of youth and young adults was at uh, Self Place in South Orange, New Jersey. And I think I was a brother at the time. And uh, it was when uh, for, her name was Mary something and Rudy were working there. And Mary came to me and asked, brother, what's worse to say? Is it worse to use the Lord's name in vain or say fuck? And I looked at it and I was like, well, taking the Lord's name in vain was pretty serious. You know, it goes against the 10 commandments. Mm -hmm. Fuck is not explicitly in the 10 commandments. So I'm gonna say using the Lord's name in vain is worse the other one's not great but using the lord's name in vain is definitely worse yes i'm with you there i'm with you there by the way i just remembered it was west virginia wild and wonderful okay so that was what i what i was right next to at suitville wild and wonderful and it was wild and 
yep it, it was wild and sometimes sometimes wonderful <laughs> i don't sometimes know sometimes sketch there was a real good wing spot that's that's really all i can attribute so um so i guess my gossipy question about um steubenville was it an actual like place of legitimate false piety or was it a place where people tried to be catholic and then was a cesspool of uh sin um so i gotta be honest it was a mix of of everything you would have the most extreme piety of of things that I wish I could give you an example right now, but I'm pretty sure that they've been blocked out of my brain for how pious they were. Just people, you know, literally on their knees, three pews before going to receive the Eucharist, you know, like crawling on their knees to receive, you know, uh, the Eucharist on a Monday daily mass type of thing uh, in a church full of people. Uh, So just those very strange or just let's not say strange let's say extreme uh things you had the other side of it for sure which was people who you know they were one of of 18 and they really had no interest in um their faith at all and their parents told them well if you go to franciscan we'll pay for your tuition you know so they went so you definitely had that and then you had, I would say, the people in the middle that, you know, truly loved the Lord, loved the church, um, were not perfect, and, you know, were just trying their best to uh, to be holy and to, you know, live their life, you know. So I would say you really would get a much wider span of 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 people than you would at, at a normal college campus. Like you, you would get a little bit of everything if, if that makes sense. It was definitely a lot harder to find, find like the, the normal people that also wanted to be Catholic though. <laughs> makes sense. All right. So yeah. let's transition a bit. Cause this has been a good, like 30 minute intro. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. We didn't even get to me entering the comment or anything. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I want to fast forward a little bit to that part of things. Um, yes. And talking a little bit about your experience uh, with the FMA. Sure. So talk to me a little bit about uh, your time okay. there. So, so you applied uh, after a couple of years at Franciscan and they yes. accepted you. So, um, I was actually in my sophomore year, second semester, um, I was in Austria and was traveling all around. And all of a sudden I just had this stirring again that, uh, oh, maybe, maybe now it's time. And at that point I was, I was pretty upset, you know, like it came up where I just couldn't stop thinking about, um, about the religious life. And I really loved where I was at, you know, I, I had a really good group of friends, um, they were just starting a lacrosse team the next semester at Franciscan. So I was excited to, to play lacrosse. I, I, I just really loved it. You know, I was, um, you know, thinking about what the future was going to look like. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to move to Texas and I guess that still kind of exists now living in New Jersey, the way that it is. I feel um, like Texas is the place to be right now. Texas is the place, Texas or Florida. I would go to, to, to like, Tennessee as well. Um, they're all, they're all looking pretty nice. So, 
Um, no income taxes. I, I do like that. So yes, yes. Um, so, you know, I, I really didn't like the fact, like I, I was, I was in prayer and I was like, Lord, now, really now when I'm, 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 I'm happy where I'm at, you know, but I had a lot of peace about applying at that point and, and not finishing college and just going and, and entering, um, with the sisters, you know, what at, when would have been the start of my junior year. And that ultimately is what ended up happening. Um, it, kind of was way worse with my family that time around because it was, I was stopping doing something that I said I was going to do, you know, um, that all promise I'm going to go get a college degree. Just yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did end up doing it, you know, <laughs> it just took a lot longer. Um, it's not on your timeline, mom. I wasn't a liar. Gosh, get off my back. Exactly. It saved them a lot of money. Like, come on. <laughs> thank Thank you, sisters. Yes. Well, yeah. And thanks Archdiocese of Newark in the end, because, you know, I was, I was on that, uh, that poor, poor youth minister salary, getting my degree in the end. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so I, I entered, you know, I entered when I was 20. Um, I celebrated my 21st birthday um, in the convent. We had convent midnight at 9 p.m. before my uh, 21st birthday. I remember uh, Sister Juliet, now just Juliet, uh, had had shown up. I feel up. like she's fallen off the face of the earth. Oh, no, I, I actually, every time I go down to Florida, um, I at least try to see her, but mostly I end up seeing her. So she's doing real Tell well. Tell her I said hi. I was asking I will. about her and... No, she's best. great. Yeah. 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 She's living the Florida life. She bought her own condo and everything, you know? I, I, yeah. It's great down there, man. No, she's doing well. Good. <laughs> she's doing well. No, I definitely will tell her. So she had come into the, um, the, what was it called? Not formation room, whatever it was, the room where uh, we, uh, yeah, the common room, but the one for the aspirants, cause we weren't allowed to go in the one for the, um, the nuns because our suspicion was that they took their veils off. So we weren't allowed to see them. Ooh, you know, because yeah. um, we weren't allowed to know of, that. My first couple of years of formation, there were two separate TV rooms. Yes. One for the non-professed and one for the professed. Uh, what, did they wear, did the priests wear veils in the professed room? <laughs> no, they didn't wear veils at all. Uh, <laughs> they, they hardly wore uh, Roman collars. So there you go. Yeah, no, our suspicion was always that they just were, 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 well, we would make a really big joke of it that they were just like running around without veils on, you know, like swinging their long hair that we didn't know they had. Um, you know, and we were long locks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so Sister Juliet had come into the um, aspirant because we were aspirants our first year. She came into the aspirant common room with a nice little tray and there was some Mike's hard lemonade. There were, um, my, my dad had dropped off a 12 pack of Sam Adams Oktoberfest for me for my 21st birthday. So that was there. And then she also had a bottle of limoncello. How did she get Mike's hard lemonade? Oh, um, sister Lise really liked Mike's hard lemonade. So that, that actually was always in stock at Mary help. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Odd thing. And when my dad found that out, he would show up with 
cases of Mike's Hard Lemonade to be like, I hear you guys can have these, you know? So yeah, thanks dad. Um, so yeah, so we had convent midnight at, uh, 9 PM where I celebrated my 21st birthday. Cause obviously it wasn't going to happen at midnight. So, um, so yeah, I, I entered, uh, you know, I went through my first year of formation as an aspirant in New Jersey at, um, at the high school that was there, Mary Hope of Christians. Then I went to, uh, California for my, uh, postulancy, um, in Bellflower, Southern California. And then I did a year as a novice in Newton. Um, yeah, for a full year. So three full years in formation. Um, and that it's, it's been a whole six and a half years since then, which is pretty wild. So, so you left after your first year uh, in Newton. Yes. Uh, so the Salesian sisters do two years for novitiate. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Salesians, uh, f- brothers and fathers, they only did one year okay. uh, of novitiate. Um, did you leave of your own accord or did they ask you to leave? Like, how did that work out for you? So actually it was a mutual decision and it was not a um, permanent decision at the time that it was made actually. I was only what I was 23 when I had left in August of 2015. And really what was decided was that I just needed to take a year off, you know, figure some things out. Uh, just, just take some time, you know, be, be at home, be with my family, go get a job, you know, maybe go take a couple of college classes and whatnot, and, and then come back a year later and start up my second year of novitiate. So really when I had left, the plan was that I was just pushing my, my first vows back by, by one year. Um, that was very short lived. <laughs> um, at the time that it happened, I mean, I, again, it was something that wasn't an instant decision. It was something that was, you know, a, a, at least a month in the making, if not more. Um, though when it happened, I was, I was very upset because it was, well, I went this whole way and I expected to make vows with, with my companions, you know, the women that I entered formation with, and now I'm not going to. Um, but I said, okay, like this clearly is what's best right now. So I'll, I'll do it. Who was in your class? Um, so I had sister, uh, Katie and yeah. And then the two sister Aprils, half of us were named April. It was very weird. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And then, um, Shannon was with us and Chelsea. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know if, and I figure you remember Shannon. I don't know if you remember remember Chelsea. Chelsea. She had the very curly Curly hair. hair. Yes. Yes. Um, Shannon, uh, I don't remember. I think she's Whitmore now. Mm -hmm. Was Sulik. Okay. Sulik. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I remember both Sister April's and Sister Katie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're just a few months away from their professional vows, really. So they're still, oh, they're all still there. Yeah, yeah. I still talk to them like pretty regularly too. Like at least, at least once a month, uh, we'll send each other like memes and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> Tell them I said hi too. I will um, for sure. So okay, let's. 
let's rewind. What were, I guess, your best memory of the convent and your worst memory of the convent? Oh boy. Um, so my best memory, I would definitely say, <laughs> I was, I was gonna, uh, now I'm gonna make a joke that my best and worst memory, both the community, <laughs> um, but no, I, I won't go that far. The best memory definitely would be the community though, in the sense that, um, I mean, that I was only a, you know, 20 to, you know, 23 year old. It was very nice to just have, I knew what my schedule was going to be like. I knew, um, you know, what days that I was cooking or, you know, um, when I needed to show up to stuff, what time I needed to get up at, but then also that there was set like, Hey, at this time, um, I I'm an extrovert. So it was like, at this time, everyone needs to hang out with you. <laughs> so that was, uh, kind of nice where it was like, okay, everyone's going to play board games. Like, or everyone's gonna, you know, uh, you know, listen, play music together or, you know, even in the novitiate, like everyone's going to watch the news together or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, those things were very nice. I mean, to be honest, the, the scheduling for me was very helpful as a person, um, you know, who has ADHD and, you know, need, needs that direction. Yep. High five. <laughs> yep. Um, th that part of it was very nice, but, but really the, the, the sisterhood that was there, the community life that was there was, was really, amazing it in that you know even though we drove each other crazy even though there were so many differences there I mean look like I entered when I was 20 and and you know sister Katie was turning uh 30 when we first entered and I was such a little jerk to her like now being 30 now I, now she makes fun of me because you know I used to go up to her and just go 30 because I thought that I was so young and full of life you know um and oh so cool yeah oh so I mean that that hasn't changed come on um, <laughs> yep so um so one of the things that I, I oh, always found uh absolutely mind-boggling was having the dichotomy of age within the same area of formation because the program for formation, the ratio, always prescribed that the different levels of formation should be separate. Now I know for the FMA, it was, they kept the aspirants with the aspirants, they kept the postulants with the postulants, the novices with mm -hmm. the novices, but with the SDBs, they kind of put them all into one house. So you had the professed, the brothers uh, with the postulants and with the the aspirants, the sons of Mary, they were all in the same house. So you've had guys who are like 40 through 18 who had to abide and live by the same rules. Dang. So it was like okay. a, a chaos. And then you had aspirants who were, you know, 18 and you had some aspirants who were like 28. Yep. And it was just a nightmare of a situation. Yeah, it sounds it. <laughs> It sounds crazy. Yeah. I personally never ended up in that situation. I mean, when I was in the novitiate, there were uh, first and second year novices. And I was the youngest at that point where I was, you know, 22 slash 23. And then sister Lillian, I 
think was turning uh, 40, right? Yeah, I think she was around 40. Um, so there definitely was an age gap there. Oddly enough, she ended, her and I ended up being the closest, which was, uh, it's weird how those things turn out, but definitely being surrounded by people that were on such different paths of life. You know, you're, you, you're seldom in a situation like that, you know, where, I mean, I mean, cause you know, you can have a job and you can work with other people, right. Where you're from different paths of life oh, and yeah. one of you 20 and one might be 60. Right. But at the end of the day you leave and then the 60 year old goes back to their, their wife and maybe the, the 20 year old who's getting ready to, you know, go back to college and their, their dog or whatever. And the 20 year old at work is, you know, maybe going to night class or maybe going to party or whatever it might be. But you have your separate life, you know, when it came to formation, you were there with those people. And then not only were you in, not only were you living with the people you were in formation with, but you also, in a lot of cases, had like a 78 year old nun uh, uh, as well. So the age span really was insane. Sister Mary Bertha was my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh man, I haven't done a Sister Mary Bertha impression in in ages now, and I don't know if today's the day. We'll today see. It's not the day. Let, yeah. let the memory live well. Yes, um, not enough bourbon today, so it's fine. <laughs> um, uh. All right. So you spoke about um, you know you were going to take this one year break, and right. not not being a one year break, it ended up being sure. a forever break. Yeah post-convent what was what was the first thing you did with your newfound freedom oh my gosh well oh my gosh the culture shock that occurred when I first left was insane I I really didn't know what to do with myself especially because I wasn't fully at terms with the fact that I had left you know like I, I knew I needed to leave but I was sad and I just had my eyes and my heart set on one year from now, I will go back type of thing. So then suddenly going into the real world and I happened to walk into a job at a, at a parish very easily. Um, so, you know, like I had a job set up and it wasn't even just some secular job, you know, like I was working in the church. So I, it's, it's not like I was, you know, thrown into something crazy where it was, two very large extremes, but, but even going from the convent to going and working in a parish where you, you know, you had a secretary that, you know, would get really pissy and would use foul language or just like really crazy gossip at lunch. At first I was, I was very shocked, you know, there wasn't a mother mistress to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was, I was so, I didn't know what to do. And also then having to go and, and pick out my, my outfits every day, you know, and, um, spend money on things there, there, there were just a lot of things that, that were very challenging. And I mean, um, it it was really, really crazy at first where I I didn't know exactly what to do with myself because suddenly I was, um, you know, on my own to, to pick prayer time and to, and to make a schedule and the real world, you can't always have a schedule, you know? So, so that, that was very shocking However, schedule changes, right? Yes. Tonight we were scheduled to start at nine. We didn't start till around nine 30 because I had a baby who was hungry and 
needed to have her downtime to go to sleep. And my wife texted me now it's 10 20. She's still wide awake. Yep. So, there you go. Things change. You just never know. You never know. So, um, you know, at, at first it was, it was very, very shocking. However, once I got over that shock, I then realized I was feeling a lot freer in my own skin, you know, that I, all of a sudden, you know, I was just, just a lot more comfortable just being myself, you know, like making jokes and not being worried that maybe I was going to get yelled at later on (laughs) and not even bad jokes, just, just, just jokes, you know, Um, that, uh, you know, I was excited to make money and then go buy a new pair of sneakers that I would wear to the gym, just like little things like that, that I was suddenly enjoying my autonomy. And very specifically, I I remember there's a lot of things that are blurred at this point because it was so many years ago, but I do remember very distinctly the moment where I said, oh, maybe I'm, I, I don't think I'm called to be a sister. I was actually at the gym. I was using the chest press machine and all of a sudden, just very casually, I felt like I was in the middle of a set. And I, I said to myself, if I don't become a nun, it's not the end of the world. And then I said it again to myself, like, if I don't become a nun, it's not the end of the world. What? You know, and I let out this, this sigh, this, this breath of, of air that I hadn't let out in, in years at that point. And, um, you know, I, I suddenly was able to see like, okay, I know for a fact that I have followed, you know, the Lord's footsteps uh, up until now. Like I, I don't look at the, the time, my time in the convent as a mistake, but I think that that was just kind of a stepping stone onto the next thing. You know, yeah. um, when I look at the women that have continued in religious life, you know, that are very happy and very fulfilled and, and, and I admire them very greatly. And they're, they're awesome, you know, holy, but also very normal women. They also are women that I look at and they're way better at obedience than I am, (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, obedience takes different forms. Um, Yes. I mean, spoiler alert, Kristen's married. So there is an element um, of the, what I would call the religious obedience uh, within the framework of marriage. It's not like I'm telling you to do this, you do this, but in obedience in the sense of what's going to be best for us and for our relationship and then obeying your conscience into how to best communicate and relate to my spouse so that we have a, a, a healthy uh, and happy household. Yeah. And you know what a big um, difference is that I've, I've really seen between that, that, you know, that essence of obedience in, in married life between um, religious life. I would say that because I, I looked at a lot of um, the sisters and the way that they could play out obedience so well was that maybe they were best with high school students, but then suddenly the province had a need for um, someone to go to a preschool or someone to do um, accounting. And it wasn't something that they necessarily were best at, but, but they were, they were ready to go, 
You know what I mean? And even if they had a hard time, they were ready to just adapt to that. Um, for me, I looked at that finally and I said, you know what? I'm sure that I could do it, but I, I think I really need to find what my niche is in serving the Lord and what my gifts are and serve him with those. And within married life, I guess a little bit of the difference. I mean, look, when it comes to religious life, the Lord takes you and you completely. I mean, part of like the whole romanticized thing of it is that you're the bride of Christ, right? So there, there definitely is that, that giving of self, but it's very multifaceted, I would say. Whereas um, within marriage, it's obviously multifaceted, but at the same time, there's more of a, it's just like, this is me, here I am. And um, yes, there's going to be some times where it means that I need to put this hat on and sometimes I need to put this hat on. But for the most part, it's a, it's a teamwork type of thing where sometimes, you know, I'm giving more, sometimes my husband's giving more, sometimes we're giving 50, 50, you know, um, there, there's a difference in it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that, uh, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. To that, because the uh, recently my wife has had to undergo, uh, another operation after she had her C-section. So she was four weeks postpartum. And then uh, she had to go to the ER because she was having a tremendous amount of uh, pain and turned out to be pancreatitis. And uh, that was provoked by uh, an inflamed or infected gallbladder. She had like a hundred gallstones within her. So she, I came home from work on a Sunday at like 1 p.m. By 5 p.m., she was going to the ER because she was just in excruciating pain. And we had a four-week-old at home. So she called her mom. Uh, Her mother went to the ER with her. And I stayed home with the baby. And she was in the ER from Sunday through Tuesday evening. So I was at home with the baby by myself. And, you know, you talk about adapting to a new circumstance. Like, yeah, I'm alone with a baby. Okay. Let's see how this, like everything worked out fine, but like sometimes you've got to give a hundred percent. Sometimes you have to give 50% and uh, working within that, uh, that framework of teamwork is you pick up where you need to, to, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Uh, my wife had to focus on her and her health uh, in that moment in time. And I had to focus on uh, taking care of the baby. Like I texted my boss, um, I just said, I'm not gonna be in this week. And it's the week leading up to Christmas that this uh, was happening. And you know, I'm a faith formation director and office manager slash secretary at a parish. So naturally to be there uh, the week before Christmas was kind of a big deal. And like, it wasn't a discussion. I just said, I'm home with my family. I'm needed here. And he just said, take whatever you need. And I was very grateful for that. But the, the teamwork and element of marriage that sort of has to exist, um, I feel like comes from 
that same realm of obedience like that you would have as a religious because you're adapting to the circumstance and you're rising to meet whatever occasion happens to come uh, to your doorstep yeah no i agree i i totally agree um you know i'm i'm a firm believer i mean not that everyone needs to you know, fully dive into every, you know, um, vocation and say like, okay, let me, let me thoroughly look into these, you know, before I make a decision, you know, but to keep your options open and to say, what, what are these about? Um, I think is a, is a really wise decision. If you're someone who's, you know, discerning what vocation is best for you. Um, because I think what ends up being seen a lot of the time is there are similarities, you know, um, that there, there are great similarities and, um, sure. I, I don't, I don't currently have to wake up at, you know, four thirty or five o'clock in the morning, but you know, when we, when we have kids that, that will <laughs> end up happening, you know? Um, so, so there are, you know, different things like that, that you, um, you might not think about right away, but then when, when you look at it, it's, you know, those, those different uh, ways of living out your vocation can be very similar. It's just a matter of, you know, how you specifically um, are meant to, you know, live them out. So. So um, just to rewind a little bit, because I know we've been talking about marriage here uh, for a hot second, but um, you and your husband, how did you guys meet? When did you meet? And how did that sort of progress? So, um, as I had said, when I had, um, first left formation, I had gotten a job at a, at a parish here in New Jersey. And, um, I think I'm trying to remember now what my title was. It was a very all encompassing title. It was, um, Jack it wasn't parish trades. assistant. It, yeah. Yeah. Might as well be might've been parish assistant, something like that. Um, I quickly realized it was a good way to make me, you know, the, um, Jack in the box. Yeah. The, you know, religious ed assistant, the director of RCIA, the, you know, I taught the classes for people to become Eucharistic ministers. I did a, I I did a lot of administrative things. So it, it was a very full job. But like I said, one of those things, uh, one of the jobs that I had um, was teaching RCIA classes. And it just so happened to be that in my, uh, you know, first year there teaching RCIA, I had this one, um, one gentleman there that actually drove me crazy because he never handed his paperwork in on time. And um, as I said, with, you know, my, my ADHD, I, I really struggle with disorganization, but I, at that point, just getting out of the convent was, was very, very, um, steadfast in trying to be an organized person where I said, you know, okay, I've gotten this far. I, I got the tools that I needed to, to be organized and I'm going to keep them up. That has gone to hell for the record uh, at this point, as I'm sitting at my table with, you know, Christmas decorations and Christmas gifts and, um, you know, some seltzer cans and stuff, but it's okay. We'll all get there. This dad timeout is brought to you by Dad Jokes R Us. 
Did you know that a Christmas tree's natural state of being uh, or happiest state of being is when it's being uh, stripped of its ornaments and lights? No. It's delighted. Oh, man. There we go. There it is. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Excellent. Um, so he, he uh, this, this gentleman never turned in his paperwork in time. So I had this beautiful spreadsheet for RCIA and it said all the things that were needed of their names and where they were baptized, if they were like all the important things. And I just had this nice blank line for Nicholas Porcaro. Uh, and it drove me crazy. Um, it really, really did. And we fast forward um, all the way to May of that year, May of um, 2016. And it was the week before um, confirmation uh, when they, you know, the, the ones who were being fully initiated had already uh been fully initiated at um, the Easter vigil about a month before, but then the ones who were just being confirmed were, um, you know, going to be confirmed that weekend for Pentecost. And again, I had this whole line of people because there were a lot, there were like 13 or 14 of them. So they, they showed up for their rehearsal and I had a couple boxes that I needed to fill in on my beautiful spreadsheet and a lot of them, it was, what's your confirmation name going to be? And most of them didn't really give a crap. Like they were mostly doing it because they were getting married and they thought they needed to be confirmed or whatever it might be. So most of them were like, I don't know, can I just keep my own name? Like, I don't know. I like the name Rose. You know, it was, it was that kind of thing. There was no meaning behind it. And then the rehearsal starts and, uh, you know, Nicholas comes sprinting in the back. I'm pissy at this point because I already have a, a I have beef with this dude. <laughs> I'm like, you have my blank spreadsheet and you're late to the rehearsal, you know, and you're rushed like as if you're rushing in now, like you're already late. And he comes in and he's being all like kind and everything. he's like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. My commute just came from the city. Uh, and I was real, just like Jersey short. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I need some info from you. <laughs> you know, so that's great. I don't care. Uh, yeah. Where's your paperwork? Yep. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, what's your, what's your mom's name? You know, what, what's your dad's name? Where were you, where were you baptized? Whatever. I was like, and what's your confirmation name going to be? And he was like, oh, um, actually it's going to be Pio after Padre Pio. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like and then you fell madly in love with yeah him. and I was like oh because I was so um I was so desensitized at that point by everyone who didn't give a crap and they were like lady why are you asking me all these questions you know and he was all like excited so I softened at that point where I was like oh that's that's a really great confirmation name you know because I love Padre Pio um so that was cool what I didn't know was the flip side of that um, for my now husband. The story that he will tell is that the moment that I, when he said P.O. and I smiled back at him, he said, oh, uh, that lady's going to be my wife. So, um, you know, kind of crazy stuff. Doesn't always happen like that, obviously, but, but that's where we were. Obviously. So, um, you know. We, we knew very quickly, though, once we, you know, once we started um, talking and going on dates and stuff like we, we knew that we were going to get married very quickly on, you know, we've had our future children's uh, names picked out for, you know, 
real long time. So my, we'll get there. My, my wife and I were similar. We met on Bumble. Um, but then once we went on a few dates and, you know, we, we had a wedding date uh, on the books before we had a ring. On there you go. Uh, and same thing. We had names picked out uh, before uh before there were before there was a pregnancy so yeah um, sometimes you just know you just know Um, yeah so i was something similar like i uh i had envisioned on only being out of the seminary for a year or two years but then i would go back and i'd be a diocesan priest um but thankfully i met my now wife and the course of my life and her life and our daughter's life has uh, changed dramatically based off of uh, decisions that were made. Um, yeah, I actually, I have a happier. question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, we, we were at Seton Hall for what, a year at the same time, right? It was about that. And I believe it was your last year with the the Salesians and then it was probably my second year after I had left because I didn't go back to school until a year after um and I remember being around for you know when you were kind of wrestling with exactly what you were going to do and I do recall that what you were mostly talking about was becoming a a diocesan priest um is was there like a moment for you or or something where you knew like yeah maybe not (laughs) Of diocesan priesthood, um, or just the priesthood in general. So, if they were to allow married priests, I'd be a priest now. Mm. Okay. Um, I still feel a strong draw to the sacraments. Um, You know, I still work for the Catholic Church. I still attend daily mass. I still serve mass uh, on the regular. Um, You know, I still have a deep devotion to the liturgy and to to being involved in that. What sort of changed my mind was uh, my conscience catching up with me because when I had initially entered, I said, I'm not going to leave until they tell me to leave. Mm -hmm. And then when we finally came to that, uh, you need to make your uh, application for perpetual vows. Um, like that caught up with me because in the back of my head, I always had, um, you are meant to have a family of your own. You're meant yeah. to be a husband and somebody's dad, uh, you know, not somebody's spiritual father. And while the spiritual fatherhood is good, it's not my calling. It's not my vocation. Um, but if there were a world in which they ordained what they call the viri probati, then yes, I would um, go ahead and be a priest. Uh, but we don't live in that world right now. Yeah. And I'm ecstatic that I am somebody's husband and delighted that I am somebody's daddy. Yeah. And that for me is my whole world like every decision that i make now revolves around those two 
um, you know, everything else is secondary and, you know, it, it just, life is so much, I feel like easier. It's not a struggle. Sometimes I struggle to wake up to go to work because mm-hmm. I'd rather just stay uh, at home and, you know, be next to my wife and help her uh, in the morning uh, with, with Ava, our daughter. And it's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, that's really awesome. That's, that's really, really awesome. And, and I mean, I consider it a blessing to have seen really you go from like just uh, a whole long journey from, you know, pre-novitiate to now here you are as a, you know, new, new dad. So it's really cool. It's, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I know, you know, you enjoy the fruits of, uh, of having children around in your life. And I know that you know what a blessing they are and I can't imagine a life without them. Yeah, no, amen to that. I, I hear you there. Yeah, and, and marriage really is just awesome. Like it is, it's an amazing sacrament that um, my husband and I have particularly recently been talking about just the, the blessings of it being a sacrament, you know? Um, and, and just how much, I mean, for us that it is a sacrament and that it's, it's not just me and him, but it is me, him, and then Christ, um, that, that just, that just changes everything, you know, especially in a world that we live in where, where really nothing is, um, like, I mean, sorry, in the world we live in, nothing is, any decision can be reversed, you know, where it's, well, I don't like it anymore. Well, I don't want to do this thing. Well, I'm going to try something else. You know what I mean? And then uh, you look, you look at the church, you look at the sacraments and, and no, like, um, like with Christ, like all things do really truly become possible, you know? So these things that, you know, some people will look at and say, well, this, this is a breaking point. This is a turning point. Like this changes everything, you know, I mean, barring some obvious, obvious extreme, you know, it's, well, no, like we're just going to figure it out. And not only are we going to figure it out, but like, we're going to figure it out together. And at the end of it, like, we're actually going to be more together, (laughs) like as a result. Um, I I feel like to sort of tie it all together from where we started um, to where we are now and to hit all the points in between the underlying message and the existence of both you and myself is the person of Jesus Christ. And I feel like to talk about that on a podcast in today's day and age is taboo to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but um, even when you were talking about, you know, your rebellious uh, stage in your teenage years, um, you know, what that meant for you was to be countercultural. And I feel like to be countercultural uh, in today's day and age takes a certain um, level of heroism. 
Um, it takes a certain level of courage and it takes a, uh, a steadfastness that can only be sustained um, through having that relationship with Jesus. And when you lack that uh, interpersonal relationship with him, you have these failings in your life that, you know, you can't explain on an ordinary basis. Um, you know, it could be moral or ethical failures. It could be uh, personal or social failures. You know, it could be any number of things. But when you have that life centered and focused on Christ, you and your spouse are living a life that is countercultural. And even for any religious who might listen to the podcast, you yourself are living in a world where you are so sorely needed to be witnesses and um, standard bearers for not just the laity, but for the clergy and for other religious to be faithful to your vocation, because this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the only thing that we can do to stand up against it is to be our authentic selves within the light of who Jesus Christ made us to be. Amen to that. Amen to that. You got any any final words for us before uh, we sign off now that we've been talking for Uh, about an hour and a half? (laughs) Oh man, has it been that long? It might be. Damn. Um, I would say, I mean with all that you said with that, it's, which is also true that, you know, to, to make sure that, that while you're approaching all of that, that like, it's okay to be a human being. And I don't say oh, that. Yeah. As, you, you can fuck up all you want. Like, yeah. That's the beauty yeah. of like, yep. you know, Jesus turned tables. Yep. He, he flipped tables in the synagogue because people were, you know, not doing good things so yep, it's okay yep. to have those moral failings for a split second but like we've got yeah. confession for that yeah reason. and it's and it's not even an excuse to to sin but it's more of a like hey if you are living your life like this you know if you're uh and realize now we're they recording you, obviously <laughs> they can't see me i'm holding my like my arms very close to my chest very uh you know just, just hold them back real close, protectively. If, if you're living your life afraid and trying to, you know, just, just, just keep yourself at an arm's length from everyone, um, you're, you're not going to live life fully. You know, um, St. Irenaeus had said like the glory of God is man fully alive. A man fully alive is someone who is willing to live their life you know you're not gonna have a chance at being fully alive if you're just worried about oh is this gonna offend someone oh is this you know um how's this gonna look and and obviously yeah take that into account don't go recklessly trying to scandalize people but 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 be okay in your own skin realizing that like the lord made you a certain way um, he made your humor in a certain way. He made, you know, the, just the way that you are, um, to, to grace this earth. And he also, you know, th- there are flaws that you have that you're going to make certain mistakes and then you're going to learn from them 
to then, you know, be more like him, you know, and to be able to look at things and to just take a a deep breath and to say, you know what, Uh, it's okay that I feel this way, you know, Uh, to give a little throwback from the convent. um, It's, you know what, Uh, 21 year old Kristen, it's weird that the provincial was eating ribs with a fork and a knife. So you snuck in the kitchen to eat ribs uh, so that no one would see you eating ribs with your hands. It's okay that you did that. You know, um, it's okay. Live life to, fully. <laughs> yeah. To be, be a person and, and be okay with it. And if, if you, if you make a mistake that's sinful, yes. Like run to confession, take, like, take it seriously to the extent that like, yes, it is a sin, but then also take yourself not so seriously that like, yes, the Lord loves you infinitely. And then, um, keep on going, but don't think that you need to live your life like in a potato sack, hiding who you are, um, in order to be holy and in order to be like someone that both loves the Lord, but also can be, you know, a person that can go to a bar on a Friday night and just, you know, be pleasant to people because you might be the person that someone looks at and says, Hey, there's something about you. And if all Christians are like that, they can't all be assholes. Right. Yeah. They can't all be assholes. Right. Just some. Yeah. Just some, just some, you know, we're working on it. (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I hope that this will not be your only uh, appearance here on this little podcast um but thanks for coming on oh it was my pleasure thank you for having me and yes i would love to tell a little bit more comedic stories in the uh in the future so we'll have another like formation story time with there we go adam there we go all right well thanks adam uh welcome thanks for coming uh, on Go tend to to mama and baby. All right. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe both of them will be falling asleep by now. I hope so. (laughs) There you go. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.